Ni hao, James. Oh man, I was gonna do that. Ni hao ma. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I was literally thinking the exact same thing. Mind meld after a hundred and hundred and what hundred and twelve episodes, hundred thirteen episodes. I know it, happens. it starts to get to this point soon. Yeah, soon. <laughs> if one of us is sick, the other one will just be able to play both characters after not too long. <laughs> Our, uh, this episode of Exponent is sponsored by MailChimp, and I have no idea how to say uh, MailChimp in, in Chinese. Yoho, uh, 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 y- y- I don't know. Um, it, uh, uh, <laughs> MailChimp. Uh, sorry. They just entered the Chinese market. They did. They did. Uh, probably a, a tough market if you're an internet service. MailChimp has been around since 2001. The company started, well, they have a bigger problem is that they're an email company that, but we, that we, we get that in a moment uh the has been around since 2001 the company started as a side project funded by various web development jobs now they are the world's largest email marketing platform sending more than a billion emails a day mailchimp democratizes technology for small businesses creating innovative products that empower their customers to grow our thanks to mailchimp for sponsoring exponent share share uh, I mean, the t- your tones are about as good as Mark Zuckerberg's. Oh, but, well, but I yes. mean, that's to be expected. <laughs> uh, I mean, props to Mark Zuckerberg for learning Chinese. It's an incredibly difficult language to learn, but he speaks Chinese like someone who studied Chinese really hard and never, and very rarely have ever spoke to someone who speaks Chinese. Uh, uh, yeah. Like he, I, and I'm not one to talk. My Chinese isn't great at all, but he, like he, he his vocabulary is very impressive, but his tones are just, are just they're not good. Careful, they're not, we're they're about to turn this into Facebook again without even. Oh trying. yes, sorry, no Facebook. Uh, so this this week, Apple, China, WeChat. Uh, I'm mm. actually this is a topic that is. I mean, speaking of long standing strategic topics, we haven't been talking about this on Exponent for a while, but this concept of messaging and why it matters and why it's important is one of the longest running threads on Stratechery, as as is the idea of the importance of the advantages Apple gets from, from combining software and hardware and that relative to, say, Samsung, for example. These are some of the very earliest articles that I wrote on Stratechery, and they very much all sort of come together in, in this week's piece. Yeah, it's interesting how markets evolve in different ways such that you get to see how different dynamics play out in different ways. But not to foreshadow this too much, it's diving into this specific market and the reasons why it's different is fascinating. Right. So we're we're going to get into China a little bit, but the reason why I've always been so intrigued by messaging and in one of the, I think I mentioned this on the podcast previously, but one of, so one of these sort of good fortunes of timing on Stratechery was I wrote about how messaging is the most important app or application on mobile and literally uh, forgive me if i've told this story before but the uh i, I always write articles and i go to bed because it's you know they post them more in the u.s and then whatever and i go to sleep and i wake up i have a bunch of a whole bunch of messages on my phone and the, uh, the first one i see is from someone like oh like wow you really nailed that one and, and this person is actually someone who is is regularly in china and, know, and knows a lot about the messaging mm. sort of space i'm like oh thank you so i took it as you know sort of a compliment that i wrote about messaging She's like, no, go look at go look at the news. You really nailed that one. And it was just announced that Facebook had acquired WhatsApp for eighteen billion dollars. Like literally within twenty four hours of me saying messaging was the most important sort of app on, on there. Facebook was out of nowhere. It kind of blows everyone in the West away by, by making this huge purchase. It was a smart one too for all those reasons. Like it, it's 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 crazy. And I I was I met someone who's in this space in San Francisco, CEO of a large company, and he completely reframed it for me when he started to say like. 
what do we use computers for? It's like literally the one of the biggest things we use it for is to talk to each other when you boil it down. And this is it's 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 simplicity belies its importance. Like it seems like such a simple thing to be able to talk to one another, to chat, to message, but uh it is like one of the primary use cases of technology, of computers and of phones. Right. That's exactly it. And we're, we're going to talk about WeChat a little bit, which is far more than messaging. Mm. Uh, and, and a point that I do want to make is that you can't analogize from your understanding of WhatsApp, for example, to understanding WeChat. It's something far greater than that. But I think it, you just made a, a point that's really important, which is you know, at the end of the day, what really matters is the job that you're trying to accomplish, mm. the, the task you, you're trying to get done. And you're exactly right. One of the most important jobs that these devices do for us is they allow us to, to communicate. And it follows that the application that is intimately tied up with that activity is in some respects more valuable than everything lower down the stack. And this mm -hmm. is the story of technology again and again and again, mm -hmm. is value going up the stack over time. Microsoft's dominance in the PC era was based on Windows and then and then the web comes along and builds on top of that and suddenly that's where all the value goes and then the shift to mobile happens which which is also part of uh which is also enabled by the web but like the person who controls at, at, like is de delivering the hardware and the operating system has all the value until people start building on that and it's the apps inside the the phone where all the value is created and and where the focus focus of competition really is. Right. But and but what's interesting though is the underlying platform still is the most important as long as the sort of jobs and value is is sort of spread out among all sorts of different apps. When these applications that made a PC valuable valuable were diffuse, all the leverage accrued to Microsoft because that was the platform on which those applications ran and you had to stick there. But when the web came along with oh, as you, the point you just made with all the sort of millions and millions and billions of whoever who knows how many there are sort of websites out there, the way to the way to get to all those websites, the portal, the the point of where everyone started was Google and a singular point. Now it was no longer diffuse. It was a single point, and that meant the 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 point of leverage in the value chain shifted away from Microsoft mm. and went up the stack into Google. And now Microsoft and Windows was just a commodity. And that's you know that's one reason why the Mac could come back because Google ran in a browser on a Mac just as well as it ran on Windows because the vo value, the point of leverage had had gone up the stack. And so Microsoft still made a lot of money. Like, and this is a point I made a long time ago in peak Google. Like, you can still make a ton of money after you're no longer relevant. You no longer have leverage, and that is exactly you know what has ha what happened for Microsoft. It took many many years for them to start to decline. But the the shift where the decline began was that shift in the value chain. Yeah, it happens when you miss the next wave of growth, right? Like that that point at which the next big thing comes along, you need to somehow uh, move or, or, or evolve your organization to like have one point of leverage and get into the next. And it's one of the things we've talked about, it right? Like the if there's a if there's a, a curse of success, which is it's so hard to get successive versions of uh, like to to be at that point of growth in successive. Uh, 
successive waves, there's a there's a blessing of failure, and that's part of like Google. Uh, obviously, was a new company, so it didn't really it hadn't failed previously, but rather was starting from a blank slate. But rather, that's part of what positioned Apple so well for for mobile is like it also could bring a blank slate because it wasn't wedded to the previous paradigm. Yeah, but I think that's, you know, the, the thing is, is that, you know, I always talk about Microsoft. The people say Microsoft missed mobile. Well, Microsoft was the first one to be making mm. mobile phones, right? They knew it was coming. And the same thing here. I mean, Microsoft totally understood the shift in the shift in leverage, the shift in value that was happening in the value chain. That's why they went after Netscape. Like they, and they went after Netscape so, like, to the point where they risked the entire company. I mean, because they, they, Microsoft understood better than anyone else that all this value is going to start happening in the browser. The mistake that they made, and this is the real curse of success. It's not that Microsoft was was lackadaisical or just sort mm. of happened, and they were you know asleep at the wheel. It, the exact opposite, in fact. The, the miss though was that the paradigm with which they viewed the shift in value was the paradigm with which they already operated. Mm-hmm. That is the runtime matters, being the having the API matters. And so they translated owning the API, owning the runtime in a operating system context. Well, how does that translate to a, a web context? Well, you we own must the own browser. the browser. Yeah. We must own the API, right? And but the problem is that the fundamental nature of the web was different than it than it was in the case of uh, you know running running programs. And the web it was information. And, and that was what the value was. And it followed that the leverage accrued to the service that could manage and finagle and not just get swamped by information, but actually thrive on information. And that was Google. The fundamental nature of Google was completely different than, than the browser. And Microsoft understood the threat of value shifting, but their mistake was approaching that threat with a Windows-based mindset when actually the threat was was Google all along. Yeah, I mean, like, that's the, that's the challenge for these companies that have been successful. Like, it's impossible for them to view things from a perspective different from where they've been. Like, they've learned all those lessons and their ability to do what you just described was part of the reason they had been so successful, not in just, uh, not just in developing an operating system, but the office suite and all those other elements. But, like, when you translate that into the web, they went for, exa- they thought they had the, the leverage point, the lynch point, and they missed they they missed they they aimed at the wrong spot right exactly exactly so what happened with mobile is mobile was a reset basically where on mobile the performance of devices was much lower the ui was completely different it was a totally different paradigm and it turned out that the web which had sort of been developed around the idea of a point and click sort of interface and all that all those sorts of things wasn't a great experience on mobile devices what was a much better experience was apps and now to be clear these apps i mean try using your phone in airplane mode right i mean some games will will work but but if you try to use like facebook for example it's it's nothing because all facebook is in many respects i mean to, to i'm exaggerating slightly here but it's basically a glorified web browser mm-hmm. it, 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 i mean there's no H, it's not using html on it's using native controls but it's streaming information from the facebook web service yeah but because the sort of interaction point is native that lowered the value again away from the the search engine down to the operating system again. And this is where Apple has certainly thrived is that they control the operating system and the apps that are used are diffused. 
And again, if you're talking about a diffused apps, again, even if it's not that many, it's still not one, right? The value accrues to sort of the, the platform underneath it. And that has that has been Apple for, for many years. It's You're absolutely right. In the same way that Microsoft kind of locked that locked in that spot with the PC, Apple's managed to lock that spot in with uh, with mobile devices. But what's interesting, in the same way that the evolution of the PC uh, and and the the web browser came along, and then Google became this this behemoth that kind of, to some extent, commoditized uh, Microsoft underneath. Yes, they still made lots of money, but the device that you were running on underneath became less and less important. I would actually say that the same phenomenon is starting to happen with Facebook. Like the extent to which people are spending huge volumes of time inside of Facebook or Facebook properties like Instagram and WhatsApp, like they run just as well on iOS or Android devices. And it's starting to abstract away a little bit, not not completely, but a little bit the importance of what it is that you run underneath. That That is true to an extent. And I, I, I'm glad you made that point because it is a good one. And it, it's a good sort of segue to discuss why WeChat is is different and, and, and something beyond this. Mm. And I think that your point is well made about Facebook occupying more and more time for, you know, and for lots of people, like Facebook is their primary form of entertainment on their phone, like th- through Facebook and Instagram or WhatsApp and, or whatever it might be. And that is very true. But what sort of time is that occupying? Certainly communication is a, is a big one. And I think in, in countries where WhatsApp is dominant, that mm. it's even more that, 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 you know, WhatsApp plus Facebook is just a, you know, it's going to consume all kinds of time. Right. But I think the broader point you're trying to make is that this is more of a personal slash leisure slash more probably communicate with friends. WhatsApp maybe and Facebook Messenger maybe a little bit less like that might bleed over into other use cases. But primarily it's like friends, family. I want to sit down and be entertained type time as opposed to everything else that we do with our phones or our digital devices the rest of the time. Hey, you, you just stole my thunder. That's exactly that's that's no, that's exactly right. Like the communication point is super important. This is why Facebook is so valuable and so powerful because they do own that layer. And by the way, it's why one of Apple's most important products. And this is the point I made again. People are like, "Oh, look at how valuable Facebook is. Why doesn't Apple get more credit for for iMessage? We should add that to their to, to we should add that to their market cap." Like, no, that is baked into the iPhone. The value of iMessage is realized in the value of the iPhone franchise because mm-hmm. iMessage is a reason to continue using using the iPhone. The, the point, though, and you, you just said it very well, is that there's still sort of a limitation on the services that Facebook provides. It is communication, yes, and leisure, downtime, like f- wasting time, filling it, like flipping through Instagram. Like no one flips through Instagram for their job by and large. No one goes through Facebook. I mean, in, in the U.S. anyway, you don't really go to Facebook for anything beyond sort of time wasting. The difference is the amount of activity that is done through through WeChat is just on a completely different scale than than anything that's done on Facebook or Line or any of the other sort of sort of chat apps. I mean, it, 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 to an extent, it is almost like an operating system in an app, right? Like every possible use case. It's hard to, 
It's hard to explain to folks that haven't been to China to see this thing in use, how exhaustive it is. And it's interesting because I think part of the reason that uh, it looks different in China than it does in the West is that the West built up with these existing uh, internet services. There were, web, there were web-based services that were already there. And it's not to say that China didn't have the internet, but it had very limited access. And the first time that many people were getting access was on their mobile devices. And someone came along with a blank slate and said, well, if we were going to, if, we, if all people have in terms of computing power is their mobile device, like how could we create something that is built given those assumptions and takes advantage of that fact? So allowing payments and everything else. And it's, it's just a fascinating phenomenon how markets evolve like this. And the realization I had the first time around this was I, I uh, early in my career, I was a management consultant. And one of my first engagements was working in Indonesia for a telecommunications company that was making so much money, it didn't know what to do with it all. But it, it, the the I had always assumed that like like fixed line was better, and yeah, mobile was nice, but like you could transfer more data and whatever. But they had just completely jumped that, and they were just investing in in mobile devices. Like there was no need to roll out all the fixed line technology. And there's a similar thing that's kind of happening here as well. Well, let's let's back up a little bit and just to give a taste of all the stuff that that happens on that happens on WeChat. So, if you want, what are the, some of the things you might do on your phone? Like maybe you want to read the news. Well, mm-hmm. on, on WeChat, you 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 go read an account. Maybe you want to order food. Well, you go to the restaurant on WeChat and you order food. Maybe you want to get a taxi, like the, the Uber thing. Well, you do it through you do it through through WeChat. Maybe you want to go to the market to the little old lady selling vegetables. Guess how you pay. You get out your phone, you use a QR code, and you pay with WeChat. Like there, there's, there, like there's no cash. There's this bike craze overtaking China, which is so hilariously Chinese. Like there's a, clearly a good idea here, and then all the money pours in, and then it's like the streets of Beijing are probably flooded with bicycles, and they're all going to go bankrupt. And then it's anyhow, it's it's a very sort of sort of classic Chinese startup story that that's unfolding. There's there's a there's an art to these things, but you use use WeChat and the. No one goes out and builds a – to your point, no one goes out and builds a web page. There is no – the web is effectively dead in China. And it's dead not because of the Great Firewall, not because of that sort of thing. It's dead because the web doesn't make sense on a mobile device. And to your point, the vast majority of the population, their first device mm-hmm. is – is is a smartphone, and even those that use computers previously, the level of utility that is achieved by a smartphone is just is astronomical. And it, like I cannot overstate this enough, the the degree to which China is ahead in terms of using a mobile device to manage your life, and if you're in like a tier one city, all aspects of your life can basically be managed through your phone. Mm. Whether that be like you could literally never leave your house. You get food delivered. You could hire help. You could read the news. You could communicate. You could do all sorts of things all through your all through your phone. And like in the U.S., it's so hard for people in the U.S. to grok because the U.S. the PC penetrated to such an extent mm. that the way we use phones, the way most Americans use phone is in addition to their PC. It fills in mm. the time around the PC. You take your typical you know, software developer who's sitting in, sitting in bed typing on, typing on her MacBook, 
puts it away, gets in the cab, maybe flips through Facebook or gets sorry, gets an Uber, flips through Facebook in Uber, goes to work, walks up to the three displays, you know, mm. uh, on her desk, and and then says, okay, now I'm going to think mobile first. <laughs> you're you're not mobile first. You're not remotely mobile first. Mobile first is everything in your life is on and through your smartphone. And that is the reality in China. And it's it's something that's very, very, very hard for the vast majority of people in the West to to understand. Yeah, I, there's a, a famous line from a movie that I quite like that uh, you were adopted into it, but we were born into it, you know? And it's uh, it, it's it's basically the, the absence of that existing infrastructure has meant that the way that they approached it was from the set of assumptions that were dictated by everyone having one of these phones and what these phones have. Uh, so QR codes, for example, are absolutely everywhere. Um, and it makes sense because people's the 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 device that everybody has on their person has a camera and so given that's the first device that people are thinking about developing for qr codes make a heap of sense because people can be relied on to use that to interact that it it, it you, they can use it to interact with the physical world qr codes are actually a great idea they're yeah. so much easier than actually trying to type in some characters or share like account information all that sort of thing obviously you would use qr codes right and the skepticism the skepticism in the west is is in part because folks have been conditioned to to uh, we have evolved from a place where nobody's gonna pick up their laptop much less their desktop computer point it at a qr code and like scan it on that basis but if all you've ever known is like a, a portable device then it makes so much more sense well, the other key thing with QR codes and, and is the problem with QR codes in the West is when you encounter a QR code, what what do you app open do you it use? with? Yeah, exactly. like the camera exactly. app, like that's not going to do shit. Right. Whereas in China, there's no debate about it. Of course, you're going to use WeChat to scan the QR code, and that is that is such a that's a critical component to you know mm. it's like standards, right? You you have to have. For something to take off, it has to have some sort of standards in place. That standards could be set by a standards body, or it could be just set by the ubiquity of the sort of device and service that 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 act that accesses it. Yeah, it's it's like really. I, I mean, I visited China a few times, and it is really. A, a, I mean, I, we can we can joke about Zuckerberg's accent, but he, he probably is able to read some degree of. Mandarin, I can't. And like the biggest frustration is increasingly the fact that there's so much of what's going on that I can't access because it's all in WeChat and it's all in Chinese. Yeah, that's a good point. You, a lot of people will like download WeChat in the US and try it out. The the non-Chinese version of WeChat is nothing like the actual version yeah. of, of WeChat. It, like it, it's a you have to actually set your phone to Chinese, and I, I can't remember if you have to be in China or not to to get sort of the full <laughs> to to get everything. You're not getting a taste of it uh, outside. Outside is just a chat app. That's all it is. The other thing to to understand is a lot of people think about WeChat in the context of like the whole like bot thing last year. So it was like, oh, everyone's trying to be WeChat. There, there's not bots in WeChat. Like that, that was a complete creation. That was a myth. Like what is actually in WeChat are what are called official accounts. Where if you're a restaurant, for example. You can have an official account, and with that official account, you can have an entire app-like experience, which 
it is sort of ironic twist of fate as far as our sort of podcast goes are basically mobile web views. <laughs> like, the, you know, an application that runs within WeChat is basically a mobile web app, but it, it's contained within within WeChat and it's hooked into the payments. It's hooked into yeah. location. It's hooked into the camera. It's hooked into all those sorts of things. And you're getting in a situation where what actually matters are those APIs that are provided by yes. WeChat. And, 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 every, and if you're starting a new business, you're not going to build a web page. You're not going to build an app. You're going to get an official account in WeChat that's it's way more discoverable because you're all the marketing, everything you're gonna spread, everything's gonna be via WeChat. It's all in there. And to the point that we're driving it, the reason we're discussing the browser and Google is what's happening is when everything is happening in one place, there is a shift in value. There's a shift in leverage in the value chain. No longer are there like in the US, even though Facebook occupies so much of our social time and leisure time, there's still a diffused what you use your phone for is still diffused, one. And two, on a higher level, you don't just use your phone. You use the PC, you use the tablet, you use lots of other devices, right? In China, there is a dual, there's two sorts of centralization happening. One, every single aspect of life, not just online, but also offline, goes through the phone, one. And two, everything on the phone goes through WeChat. It follows then, all of the leverage and all of the power goes where? Goes, goes to WeChat. To WeChat, right? One other way of understanding how ubiquitous and how powerful it is, is if you imagine that, I mean, it's super easy for a business owner to create a Facebook page, right? Like imagine that Facebook page allowed you to comp- interact with everyone that came into your business. It allowed them to order food off the app when they're in the business it allowed them to pay and what's so what's so in the same way that facebook is it's very it's 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 clever of them to make it so easy for people to create the face uh, a facebook page like relative to a website wechat takes it a step further and it makes it easy to effectively run your business without a sophist- like a, a, a high degree of sophistication around the technology you can run your entire business through this through this app and it it's kind of crazy because we always think about ourselves like the folks in the West always like to think about themselves as technologically advanced. And it's it's kind of ironic, but the fact that we were relatively advanced with PCs and so on, like this disruption has come along in, in the shape of the mobile phone. And because they had nothing before it, their ability to leapfrog to like the place where this thing is drawn to its logical conclusion, it's so much easier for them to to get there. Yeah, one thing that's interesting is actually WeChat what I mean WeChat is, is a product of Tencent. And Tencent was a very strong PC business. And what's interesting is their their primary dominant sort of uh part of their business was a chat app called QQ. Hmm. What is actually one of the things that's really impressive about WeChat, I think one of the reasons why it has succeeded to the extent that it is is that Tencent did not port QQ to the phone. And that would have brought along all sorts of assumptions mm. around the PC. And instead, they started from scratch. They started with a brand new app, with a brand new architecture, a brand new way of thinking, and then just you know executed amazingly. I mean, the, the, there's lots of story, lots of instances where Chinese companies succeeded, whether because of the Great Firewall, or because of piracy, or copying, or, or you know, whiffing intellectual property, like. 
WeChat won fair and square. iMessage works fine in China. Wine, to be fair, wine has been blocked. But by and large, like it's 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 won on the merits through through strong execution and just like you know, I mean, tying all this stuff together and. But to even compare these things to messaging apps is to, I mean, yes, that's where it started. Like that's where it, it got its start. But to compare these, to compare them as if they're the same thing, it's like if a messaging app then spawned everything that in, is inside of an operating system and is inside of Facebook. And it's just insane the extent to which, yeah, they landed there and it's a great place to land, but they kept running with it. And yeah, it's, it's, it's mightily impressive. Yeah, and your point is a really good one about where you start in the evolution. The, the, the way the example I always talk about and think about is payments, where the US is really behind in payments compared to the rest of the world. Mm. I mean, even when it comes to credit cards, we're still u- mostly using magnetic swiping and signatures. And even if there is a chip in the card, this big switch to the chip, we're still signing, right? There's no like pin, pin entry. And why is that the case? The US is behind the rest of the world in payments because we got credit cards first. And when credit cards first came along, the way they worked was Medex, Stripe, and signatures. And, you know, that that was the first sort of iteration. And it was such a superior – it was such a massive leap over what came before, which is basically carrying around cash and checks, that it brought like wildfire and you could get used credit cards everywhere in the U.S. Meanwhile, other countries were more behind and then they looked at the credit card system and said, well, the signature might not be a good idea. Maybe we should actually use like a PIN code, for example, right? But the difference was in those other countries, the penetration wasn't there. So when they could actually build out the penetration, it was done with new assumptions that was learned from looking at the U.S. and doing mm-hmm. it def- differently, doing it a better way. And then me- and then that was kind of version two. Version three is you see this a lot in Asia where you have all these cash stores, like wallet sort of systems, like the the uh, the Axis card in, in, in Hong Kong is, mm-hmm. is an example. You have a lot in Japan. And this is almost like, well, what if we did, what's the next step beyond that with new technology? And now WeChat Wallet is like step four, where it's all completely stored in your phone. And yes, using like a QR code is in a vacuum more difficult than using uh, Apple Pay. But the, you know, to consider the user experience, you have to consider the totality of the user experience, not just the narrow user interface. And in the totality of the user experience, is it better to be able to use Apple Pay in very few places, yet use it very elegantly? Or is it better to be able to go to the market down the street and use WeChat Wallet because everyone supports it, even though you have to actually open it up and show a QR code? The latter, of course, because like you don't want to have to think. You don't want to have to go through the process of thinking about, is this a place where I can use Apple Pay or should I be using my credit card or should I just be paying cash? And that's what's so impressive about the ubiquity of what it is. It's like you don't even think. People just pull out their phones and they pay and it's done. Right. And, but the reason you can get to that point is, again, because you, where are you starting from? From to scratch. To use WeChat Wallet – the, the the change from using cash is a massive, massive, mm. massive increase, right? In the US, to use Apple Pay versus just pulling out your credit card, is Apple Pay better? Of course it's better. I mean, I think it's a delightful experience. But again, you can't consider the value of the experience in in isolation. Mm-hmm. You have to consider it in totality. And the reality is, even when you know when I'm in the US, I end up not using Apple Pay the vast majority of the time because the you're right, the mental friction of figuring out whether I can use it or not is too great. It just and you can just take out a credit card and swipe it. Is it as good? No, it's not quite as good, but it's it's still pretty good. The delta of improvement is just not there to justify the, the exactly. pain. Of, of, of switching. 
it's that delta. And by the time you figure out, oh, I could have paid with Apple Pay, you're already, the card's already in the machine and you've already swiped it and then you're not going to cancel it to do it. I mean, it's so fascinating because you see these, when you start to realize that it's not an absolute basis, but a relative basis on which these infrastructure plays start to, uh, whether they get deployed or not, or whether new technology gets adopted and how it gets adopted, you start to see it everywhere. So again, my first experience of it was in telecommunications, but there's another fascinating one, which is when you start to think about electricity, right? Like we have a grid and it's kind of assumed that we have a grid, like the power poles and everything that get electricity to your house. But if you were starting from scratch today, would it actually make sense to roll out a grid given the, the I mean, the, the old fundamental assumption was that power was centrally generated at a power station and then it needed to be transmitted and there was loss of transmission and all that investment. Would, if you're in a remote part of the world or you're in an undeveloped part of the world, would you go to the effort of rolling out a grid or might you think, well, solar cells are actually coming down in price quite substantially. Why not just put solar cells on people's houses and use the, use the, the money to invest in that and skip the grid altogether? It's like because now does it make sense to go back uh, to go back and rip up all the infrastructure or to bypass all the infrastructure that's already in existence for Western countries? Well, because of global warming, perhaps, but absent that, probably not. But in these in these uh, countries that haven't been developed, because the improvement that solar offers is so great compared to what is in existence, which is nothing, it's like, this is fantastic, guys. Let's put this on our houses and suddenly we've got electricity and we haven't had to deploy a grid. Right. I mean, there, there's all there's all kinds of examples of this of this sort of leapfrog. I mean, you mentioned the mobile one before where there's, you know, it's so much easier to build a mobile tower in like the Sahara than it is to actually lay mm. down lay, lay down lines. Yeah. No, the other one is we've talked about several times is transportation, right? One of the reasons why I've always been so bullish on on Didi in China is because the vast majority of the population uh, doesn't own a car. Uh-huh. It, the, one of the big challenges in shifting to this sort of transportation as a service for all transportation, not just sort of, you know, after night out drinking in the US is that you're competing against the car in the garage. Mm. And that's that's tough. That's a big yes, it's a sunk cost, but you still, you know, you have to overcome it. If most people don't have cars at all and you're you're building a city with, you know, public transportation and then filling in the gaps transportation the service it like it makes so much more sense and you're going to get there so much more quickly than when you have to you know deal with people's cars, the old the old system. I, this is, I think this is getting at one of the causal mechanisms of disruption and going after non-consumption because non-consumption, it's so much easier to provide a solution that's infinitely better than what people have right now, which is nothing. Whereas if you go at top end folks, they already have something that's pretty good. They're already demanding and they already have the resources to buy things. Therefore, the marginal improvement you can offer is so small. And that's why so many of these things have emerged in the low end. The other great point about that insight is we always think about stuff coming in the low end as being inferior. Mm. But if you think about, for example, a, a city 
that has a central sort of artery of public transportation, like say Beijing or whatever, and then you augment that with with cars. I mean, Beijing is probably the best example because the traffic is horrific because there's enough people that own cars and make it bad. But generally speaking, as an idea, the fact that Western countries, everyone owns their own car, is this other system inferior to that? I would argue it's 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 superior if you think about it from a holistic perspective. Same thing with the payment sort of thing. To be the incumbent is not always to have a better solution. It's to have an entrenched solution. Yes. And the value of the low end is not always just being cheaper. It's the freedom to take a fundamentally different approach to the market because of new technology in a way that actually is better. And that's why disruptive technologies don't destroy incumbents simply by virtue of getting better and better and better. I think that that's maybe a – that's too narrow of a way to think about it. They become better and kill incumbents because they're better. The, the emphaticness with which you said that makes me feel guilty asking you this question. But uh, can you explain that in slightly different language? I didn't entirely <laughs> understand. So, so the way, the way you, people usually think about disruption is there is a very good product in the market that overserves most customers mm-hmm. and it's too yep. expensive, right? Yep. And so what happens is technology enables a new kind of way, a new kind of product into the market that is not – uh, suitable for the high end of the market, yes. but it serves people who were not previously in the market, you yes. know, usually because it's cheaper. It's lower yep. price, right? And then over time, that new product gets more and more functionality and, and because in the rate of improvement in the product exceeds the rate of people's capability to absorb the, the improvement. Sure. Yep. And so what happens is the high end – I know you know it. I'm just explaining it. Yeah. <laughs> so the high end product, their response to a new entry is to add new features and to go up market. Mm-hmm. And what happens is they end up over-serving their customers and this other product gets better and better and better and at a lower price because it has a systematic advantage thanks to technology yes. and it takes the whole market. Yeah, got it. The difference here, though, is kind of implied in that. I'm not sure it was necessarily on purpose, but kind of implied in that description is that the technology that takes over the market is not as good as the one that that is in the market. Actually, the one was arguably too good. It overserved the market, right? Again, by some sort of narrow definition of, of, of too good. But I think the the point here, and this is something I, I talked about, I think, in that Beyond Disruption article, in the case of Uber was the example sort of made, is... You could argue in many cases the one coming in on the bottom is actually better. It's superior and it's so fundamentally different from what was there originally that almost the incumbents and the people who buy the incumbent product are locked in and blind to the new way of thinking. Like people who have cars in their garages are sort of by default blind to the benefits that might come mm. from actually renting all of their transportation, right? Gotcha. I'm with you now. So and and it's the sunk cost in that instance that is the sunk cost is partially blinding them. Like I've invested in the car or I have this car and then I'm not using the car and then I'm spending more money on another service. I, I think another great example of this it, it's basically m- making the case that on some level the basis of the basis of comparison or the performance that matters starts to shift. And even if the new product doesn't necessarily beat the old product or the old paradigm entirely, it opens up these all these new things that are possible. And like the, the, like the example would be compare a mainframe with a mobile phone. Like a mobile phone is never going to match a mainframe in terms of uh, its ability to compute like very complex things. But there are so many more things that people can do on a, 
on a smartphone because it's with them and in their pocket and has a camera and Bluetooth and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that, that the, the fact that it can't out, out, outperform the mainframe on the old basis of performance doesn't matter anymore. It's such a great point. I'm glad you brought it back to this because people who live under the old paradigm compare the new thing using the old paradigm strengths. Right. Mm, so people yes. who grew up with a PC look at a mobile device and they evaluate the mobile device based on what the PC is good at because that's what they're used to. Mm-hmm. And of course, the mobile device falls short. What people Always. don't see, and this is kind of ties in, frankly, to a discussion we've been having over the last several months, is all the things that could be done that you can't yeah. even imagine because you, the PC is not capable. There's so many things that mobile can do that PCs can't. Again, because of it's it's with you everywhere, because of all this sort of, you know, the location and camera and all the things you just listed, there's so much functionality that goes far beyond that everyone who was locked in the PC paradigm could only imagine it as a small PC, when in reality it, it is and should be, you know, so much more. The, the point about not imagining tying <laughs> tying it back to like all these things that aren't possible when you are just focused on that axis of performance is such a good point and so this is and this is what has happened and you see that this is what's happened in in china and you you've made this point a few times in this podcast and it's exactly right if you're entering the market now as a startup as an old person getting your your first computer as a young person as whatever it might be you're going this is the way. This is the way you're. This is where you're going to go. It's the way it ought to be. Where my mind goes a little bit as we have this conversation is if we recognize that these these leapfrogs, the, the leapfrogging as you've described it, always happens on the basis of marginal, the marginal improvement. It's interesting that so much of the innovation around this stuff, at least in terms of using the devices to their full capacity and integrating them with society to their full capacity, is happening right now in developing countries that leapfrog the PC. Uh, on a certain level, the West is being left behind. And again, coming back to this idea of uh, of the blessing of failure, it actually sets um, the markets, uh, well, the market that I'm living in right now, but pr- probably a lot of our audience is listening in, it sets these markets up to actually be pretty well positioned to catch whatever the next wave might be. Now, if we think about it in terms of maybe it's wearable devices or maybe it's something else but given given that um given that these developing markets or like china is so far in front with the mobile phone like it, and and relatively speaking we've left behind like that leaves a bigger gap for something new to come along and take root inside the developed markets yeah i mean maybe i mean the i there's so much eagerness to move past the phone Mm. Whereas I think there's an aspect where we're we're you know we're still in very much in the middle of the smartphone era, and you think about the PC era. The PC era really started in the 80s, and Microsoft was dominant for you know Microsoft was the critical player for 15 15 years mm. from the early mm-hmm. 80s to the late 90s. And what changed in the late 90s? What changed in the late 90s was not that Windows went away, not that Microsoft stopped making money. It's that the the leverage shifted. The the point of leverage went up into the browser, went to Google, right? And then we had another 10 years of Google being sort of the dominant player. But that's very much set the stage for mobile. And the reason set the stage for mobile is that I often think of consumer technology. I actually wrote about this back in 2014. 
There's sort of a TikTok sort of approach mm-hmm. where there's the application hardware development and that sort of stabilizes and then you build on top that sort of new mm-hmm. level of abstraction and value jumps up and then mobile came along and then you kind of went back down. And the last 10 years have been establishing that, solidifying that. It's been the year, you know, Apple's dominance and, and you know, Android's dominance over the last 10 years have been analogous to Windows before mm-hmm. that. But what's happening, and again, China is in part because they're so far ahead in, in these aspects because they started on mobile is we're in that next era. And this is why I've been writing about messaging all along because it's it's closer to the end user. It's closer to what they want to do. But what makes WeChat different and was sort of the point of this article is because it does so much, far more than just chat, because it is all aspects of the typical person's life, that 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 shift in leverage is happened there first. And and you know that in in that is a that's a problem for Apple. It is. It. I mean, and you see it in the numbers, right? Like the iPhone is growing basically everywhere, all around the world, with one exception, and that is uh, that is in <laughs> China. And you can make all the claims you want about the uh, about how important user experiences and so on but if you're effectively in just one app the user experience from phone to phone is is largely the same right like yeah there's a different camera or maybe there's a different unlock function or something like that but all this other functionality whether it's apple pay or iMessage or all the function and and all the function the app store all the i mean to a lesser extent the app store there is still some there are still people like it hasn't got everything there are still people that download not not in china though in china every there's no app that is like ios first or ios only if anything apps come out android first because there's 90 percent of the population is using is is using android i mean there's there's really no differentiation for an apple device from an app perspective and your point's exactly right from a user experience perspective there's not really any either because the vast amount of time is spent either in a game that consumes your entire screen or or in WeChat. And in fact, a lot of the things that sort of lock you down on Apple where you can't change defaults and you can't do different things and all this sort of stuff that that you know people kind of complain about but also makes the experience kind of nice, that's mm. all like a pure negative in China. Mm. This is one of the things that when you have differentiated uh when you have when you have built differentiation or uh, when you have an existing product and you charge a premium, but the basis on which you charge the premium is actually not founded on performance, then you are going to start to run into troubles very quickly because people will, oh, like if you, if you buy, I mean, let's the, the nicest horse drawn carriage that you could possibly buy. And then someone drives past you in a car. It's like, like on what basis are you buying the horse-drawn carriage? Yes, once upon a time that was the best thing, and it carried with it an element of prestige. But once performance surpasses that, on or once there's no reason to buy it beyond the prestige itself, like the ability to charge the premium, and anyone who comes along and buys it, if you're just buying it on the basis of prestige, it becomes a much much harder sell, and it 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 almost turns into the emperor has no clothes. Yeah, I think the, the it's a little extreme. To go from the horse carriage to the car mm, because sure. I mean a- a- Apple Apple still retains a tremendous amount of sort of status and prestige and all the stuff that goes with the brand. The iPhone is you know for lots of people still the phone that they want, but they want it in the way that they want a BMW or they want a Mercedes or or, or whatever it might be. And the problem is that the what's the difference between a Mercedes and a BMW? 
I mean, it's it's basically. I mean, by and large, it's basically just branding, right? Right. I mean, one you know maybe one is a little bit more of a comfortable ride and has certain certain prestige attached to it. Maybe one quote unquote has better performance. But the reality is, you're sitting in you're sitting in a Beijing you know traffic jam the whole time anyway, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> you know, it certainly it, that's still valuable. I mean, you can still make money by having a sort of prestigious sort of thing. But I mean, look at BMW. BMW just came out with the new five series, right? And you look at their sales numbers. Last year, the 5 Series sales were really, really low. Why? Because it had the same version for five years. And then the new one came out, and there's pent-up demand, and now sales numbers are are supposedly really high. Well, that's kind of what I think is happening to the iPhone. The, the, the hot new iPhone came out. The iPhone 6 came out. Tons and tons of people buy it. It was the thing to buy. There was no cooler device to own in China than an iPhone 6. And it was available on China Mobile, and it was broadly available. Massive, massive hit. But... The big mistake that I think Apple's management made in analyzing this sort of situation was presuming that groundswell of of or that that massive surge in sales was because people valued an iPhone the way that most of the rest of the world values an iPhone, which is not just that it's Apple, but also iOS and the user experience and the halo effect and all the things that go into buying an Apple product that we spent lots of time talking about. It turns out, I suspect. People just wanted the hot new phone. And yeah. next year, there was no hot new phone from Apple. There was a hot new phone from Huawei or, or Oppo or the other sort of Chinese brands that have gone super high end. Like all kinds of features like the the, the, oh, the portrait camera, which is, by the way, made by a Chinese company first. Like all those sorts of stuff and hot new models and getting the whole thing, you know, getting people to endorse them and all the stuff that goes into selling high end products. And what happened the next year? Well, there was no interesting new iPhone again, and then there was lots of other interesting new phones. And the iPhone is still doing okay in China. 50% of people who had an iPhone bought another iPhone last year, which was higher than any other, any other manufacturer. But in the rest of the world, it's 85% of people who have an iPhone buy another iPhone. That's a massive, massive difference, and it matters because the reason an iPhone sells in China is based on being a cool new device it's not based on being an iphone right and i i mean and there are there are cultural aspects to china where uh prestige and conspicuous consumption are much more much more critical to the culture uh, a much larger part of the culture i should say than in the west but i i guess it's it's starting to i i would still stand by that point it's like if the if the basis on which you are charging a premium and there is no differentiation and everything starts to look the same. It's like, okay, like it becomes harder to sell at a premium if there's no differentiation. And that's effectively what WeChat has done. It has undifferentiated the phone from the moment you pick it up and turn it on. It's effectively, it doesn't matter what kind of phone you're on. It, they're all the same. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with your point, to be clear. I think, again, it's not quite like the iPhone is being undermined by cheap phones, per se. Like, there, people, there are other, it's being outsold by other high end phones, right? Mm. This isn't, you know, it's really Huawei is probably the one that's taken the, the, the most share from iPhone, not like a Xiaomi coming in with a, you know, with a cheap phone, but it's more that the iPhone is competing on a fashion, basis or a, a a fad sort of basis which you can make good money but it's much harder 
and much less sustainable than a sort of the built-in advantage that Apple enjoys the rest of the world. The reality is Apple's last quarter was amazing. They had a phenomenal quarter. The iPhone is this massive behemoth. It's been around for, for going on 10 years, and it grew by 10 to 20% all over the world. It was an incredible quarter, except for China. <laughs> and, and, and I think, you, to your point, the combination of, yes, the, the WeChat is what actually matters. That's where the point of leverage is. And again, the conspicuous consumption point can't be made can't be made up. I mean, the vast majority of luxury goods in the world are all sold in, in China. And you just walk down the street in Shanghai or Beijing, and you're going to see a million like Chanel bags or whatever it might be. Like it, it, it's 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 very hard. It's just totally different than than the U.S. And who wants to be carrying around a three year old phone? Yeah, and uh, yes, right. And I mean that that basically speaks to it. Like they are having to compete. They are. Ha- it, it's almost like in China, Apple is. Uh, Apple's like an Android device, right? Yep, they're like, like everyone it, else. The, yeah, it's like they don't have iOS as a result of uh, of WeChat because it's built on top of the operating systems and it's abstracted away the operating system. So the only differentiation you have is your branding and the physical design of the product. Right, and you can make money like that. I mean, Samsung makes money selling high-end smartphones, but it's not Apple money. Yeah, and it's not it's not that degree of stickiness and and all the things associated with the lock in. Like once you have the more valuable users, you get more developers. That gets you in the app store. That means you don't want to switch platforms. And your differentiation around the experience of using the device it it just doesn't matter because it's the same. Doesn't matter which device you pick up. Yep, and you can't. You're not going to make services money because there's all sorts. Of, all yeah. the other services are going to go through through WeChat, all that sort of thing. I mean, Apple still obviously makes money through the in-app purchases. That you know, uh, in particular, is a huge. That's why they make so much money in China. Is the is the games. And again, it's not to say that they are doomed by by, by any means. In in some respects, you could actually argue that this is a testament to how strong the iPhone is. I mean, the mistake that the reason why Apple was so serially undervalued for so many years, particularly when the iPhone first took off, is everyone was expecting the iPhone to be commoditized, right? And it's going to be disrupted by cheap Android and Android's going to get all the apps, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's something we've talked about a million times. Mm. I got it, you know, when I started Shotechery is right when the Apple's doom, Samsung's taking over. And, you know, I got lots of mileage. just saying that's dumb. That's, that's definitely not the case. And in some respects, the fact that you could argue that's kind of sort of happening in China, but even in China, it's not that bad because in China, the Apple brand is so valuable that there's they can still you know make a lot of make a lot of money even in a relatively undifferentiated software environment. But it speaks to how powerful the model still really is in the rest of the world. Mm. Like Apple, yeah. like Apple can release basically the same phone three years in a row, and their and their sales are totally fine everywhere else in the world. Because what actually matters is it's an iPhone. It's an iPhone. It runs iOS. It has the apps. It's what you're used to. It has the services. All the sorts of things we talked about. And it shows just how strong the iPhone really is. That it took this sort of spectacular, you know collection of circumstances that led to WeChat being such a monster that China is sort of the only country where that model doesn't quite hold together. And even then, it's still not that bad, (laughs) relatively speaking. Yeah, I guess the last thing I would add is that there is a little bit of a playbook here for a company like Facebook is like, actually, 
we kind of we kind of aspire to be able to get to that position. And if you take a look at some of the strategic moves Facebook is making, it's to make it such that it is the app in which you do everything from ordering your car in Messenger to making payments like they're adding that in Messenger as well. Like they want to get as much of that inside those two apps as possible with a view to being able to get that leverage point in the same way that Tencent's done it with WeChat in China. The, the difference though is the exterior circumstances. It's you're not, different. Yeah, you, you're right. you're, it's not where everyone is getting their first smartphone and where you're starting with a fresh set of assumptions and mm. where if you were starting from scratch, like no one should make a web page. They should make a Facebook page. Like that's just the way. Like and that that in Taiwan, which is sort of a little ahead of China, so we're, we don't, we don't have the sort of messenger base thing. But like fa- like everyone has a, all businesses have a Facebook page. No one has a web page. Like for a the only businesses that have web pages are the ones that are around like 15 years ago, and that web website hasn't been updated since then. It, it's all Facebook pages because why? If you're a small business or a brewery or a restaurant, or whatever. That's how people are going to find you. That's how people are going to share you. That's how people are going to look you up. That's it's, it's all like, why would you go anywhere else? And the fact that the U.S., because the U.S. is ahead, which means they're behind, also mm. means that that opportunity for Facebook isn't there because it's not. And this says so much about companies and when they succeed or when they fail. It's absolutely about the company and execution and WeChat and Tencent deserve a ton of credit. But mm. it's also the external circumstances that mm-hmm. goes into creating these opportunities. Yep, totally. I yep. I like that. When you're ahead, you're behind. Huh. There's one more point I want to make though that I think is interesting to think about. And I've argued for a long time that one of the reasons why I think Apple has not been the way it's pursued the App Store and it has not been favorable to sort of building sustainable businesses outside of sort of free-to-play games where you charge a lot for like virtual mm. virtual coins why can't you build an effective productivity app like for example to be a sustainable productivity app you have to be able to charge your current customers for like upgrades for example right mm. because that's it's so much easier to get money from your existing customers than it is to find new customers all the time whereas the app store you have to always be finding new customers and yes now there's sort of, sort of subscription pricing but customers have made pretty clear they're not very keen on that for productivity apps there's still this sort of big hole and i've always gone back to that 1997 keynote in Boston where Steve Jobs had basically say, we need Adobe, we need Microsoft. Bill Gates, you know, appeared on this big screen above his head. And that, hmm. Mike, like, Apple was, they needed them. They, they People cared more about Office and more about uh, uh, Photoshop than they did about the Mac. And Apple Store, they would never, ever get in that situation again. And I think that's part of why the App Store has always been sort of handicapped from the beginning, particularly for the sort of productivity apps and the shame of it is, is that what Apple was fearful of happening actually did happen, mm. I would argue, in China. Mm. But it happened in a completely different sort of way and context than anyone could have ever, ever anticipated. And it actually ties into the Microsoft analogy as well. Microsoft understood that the threat to Windows was a new layer above Windows. Right. But they thought about how that layer would manifest itself through their framework, the framework that they knew, which was APIs and runtimes. And so they attacked the browser. Apple thinks about what's going to disrupt the iPhone, what's going to make someone care more about an app than they do about the underlying iPhone. But they thought about it in terms of you know, applications and doing stuff on your phone, which is what, what Apple's good at. And actually, it turned out that... It was this social context, and it was this interacting with with the outside world and these web views and the, all these sorts of things that 
no one could have thought up. And the shame of it is that just like Microsoft sort of you know, almost destroyed themselves by destroying Netscape and had to go through the antitrust trial and all that sort of stuff, I would argue Apple's really hurt themselves too. I think, as we've discussed, I think the iPad is nowhere close to the product mm. it could be because Apple now is positioning it as a PC replacement, which is like it's such a narrow-minded view. Like it's taking a PC perspective and trying to slot something into it, and it's never going to be as good. The iPad's potential is in all the things it could do that a, P that a, a computer can't do. But those things can't be realized without the sort of environment where people can take those risks and try. And that environment is not there because Apple is so worried about protecting its turf. And it didn't matter in the end. Yeah, I think there's something there. As soon as a company starts switching to thinking about that protection of uh, uh, protection of turf, like where's the threat coming from as opposed to that's uh, that's not the approach that Tencent took with WeChat. They had QQ and they were like, instead of where's the threat coming from, like how would we do this now if we started again from scratch? And again, it sounds like a subtle difference in mindset, but it ends up making all the difference when it comes to these things because you, you start to think about possibilities and meeting customer needs as opposed to just making sure that nobody ever threatens you. Yep. Absolutely. Anyhow, we I think we we might have gone a little long. We I always say this, then I was end up cutting editing it, and it's super close. <laughs> and I feel weird that I said we went along when it wasn't long. But we might have gone a little long. We'll see when we're done. We'll see. Well, maybe everyone thinks we have a 50, 50 minute podcast, and we're always feeling guilty about going for an hour. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, our thanks to Mailchimp for sponsoring this episode of Exponent, and I will talk to you next week. Sounds good, mate. Have a good one. Oh, yeah, I thought you were going to drop the side gin. Ah, uh, I don't know how to say goodbye in Chinese. <laughs> Zai Jian. Zai Jian. Zai Jian. Yeah, let's stop this before people start making fun of my Chinese. <laughs> I'll talk to you later. Bye. -bye. Bye.